Welcome to the FX Church Podcast. Uh, we're glad you've chosen to join with us. We are in the midst of our series in the book of Joshua titled Inheritance. And uh, we are in week seven of this series and um, in the book of Joshua. And, you know, this book really kind of gives the framework for what God is trying to, to show us about the future that he has, that he has a plan, that he's been working it out, that he's patient, and that he wants to involve people in his plan, and that he has a plan for us now, even before the inheritance comes, and we may never even see it. You know, believers today in Jesus, which Jesus' name means Joshua, find ourselves in waiting, very similar to God's people uh, back in Joshua's day. They had been waiting 600 years for a promised inheritance that was given to Abraham. They, they lived in slavery for 400 years. They'd just been wandering in the wilderness and in a desert. They'd been clinging to a promised inheritance that the majority of them throughout those 600 years would never see in their lifetimes, all while being told now to be strong and courageous. You know, we have to ask ourselves, would we still believe and lead others to believe that Yahweh saves, that's what the name Joshua or Jesus means, and that His promise is true, and that there is an inheritance that will come. You see, that's where we are today. We believe that Jesus came, that He paid the ultimate price, and that He said that to those who know Him, He gave the right to become children of God, and that He has an inheritance for His children that we can look forward to one day. As we drop into the story, you know, we see in Joshua 1.6 that, that God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous, for you'll distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. And God is doing a battle right now in our world with our version of the promised land. Many people think America is the promised land, the ultimate country to ever exist. And scripturally, that's just not true. It's not a bad place. It's actually better than probably many places in history. But it's not the promised land. We still have pain and suffering and wars and problems. Someday there's going to be a land that doesn't have those things. And so God tells us that we already have an inheritance from Him. It's just not yet. And it was the same for God's people in this day. Abraham had already been promised the inheritance, but not Yet, Joshua and the people are now going into the promised land to, to go after their inheritance that had been promised, but it's not theirs quite yet. You know, when you think of an inheritance, what do you envision? It's typically something easy. You know, you show up and a lawyer reads you the, um, you know, the terms, and then you get your inheritance and you walk out the door. And, you know, you didn't earn it and you don't deserve it. Sometimes people think they do deserve it for all they put up with in that person's life, but really you don't. You see, you can't earn an inheritance. It has to be granted. It has to be grace, an unmerited favor. This is yours based on the relationship you have with the person. You see, that's what this relationship with God looks like. It's based on Abraham's relationship with God, Moses' relationship, and us having a relationship with Jesus, the, the, the Joshua, the Yahweh who saves. And you know, with such a great gift comes responsibility. Responsibility to honor the giver and to preserve the gift and to prepare for what he has for us next because we see that he's giving. And that's where we land in the story right now. You see, in the book of Joshua, you find them in these two places, a place of rest and in a place of fighting. And you know, that's where we find ourselves often, don't we? Where we go out, we work all day, and then we come home and we rest, we pause, we, we lay our head in the pillow at night and we rest. And there's this battle between rest and fighting. You know, let me ask you, what gives you rest? What really gives you peace and rest? And what makes you want to fight? You see, God has a lot to say about resting and fighting in Scripture. And when you get it wrong, it's very costly. 
And you know, we're going to look at two, two physical objects. One is the place of Gilgal, and the other is the sword. So Gilgal and the sword. Gilgal and the sword. Gilgal, the place of rest and worship and recharging, and the sword, which means we're getting ready to go to war. And even today, we'll see in the message this week, we are still called to carry a sword. Not like they did in Joshua's time, but in a battle that God has called us into to gain a better inheritance. So let's pick back up the story in Joshua 10, 14. And we find him fighting against the city of Ai, and we come to the end of Joshua 10, and it says, There had been no day like it before or since when the Lord listened to the voice of a man because the Lord fought for Israel. So they're in a fight. They're fighting for this land. The people of the land have been asked to surrender to God, to give up their land, to worship God, and they refuse. They, they, they refuse to either leave and just turn the land over without a fight and keep their gods or surrender to God. And then in verse 15 of Joshua 10, it says, Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp at Gilgal. You find them that they kept returning back to the camp at Gilgal. They hadn't won the land and given each tribe its allotted portion of the land yet. And so they had this place they kept coming back to. And they would move forward to go fight and get the inheritance, but then they would have to come back to to recharge and to worship and to to get ready for the next battle. And you know, that's exactly where we find ourselves as believers today. It's what we see in our world today, that that we go out, we're, we're fighting. It seems like there's things we have to fight for, and then there's places of recharge. And and we'll look today at what that really means more deeply. In Joshua ten sixteen, it says, Now the five defeated kings had fled and hidden themselves in the cave at Mecca. It was reported to Joshua, the five kings have been found, and they are hiding in the cave at Mecca. Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and station men by it to guard the kings. But as for the rest of you, don't stay there. Pursue your enemies and attack them from behind. Don't let them enter their cities, for the Lord your God has handed them over to you. See, they're in a fight. And what's interesting about this story is, you know, Joshua says to roll a stone in front of the cave. It's, it's, you can't help but think about the fact that when Jesus died, he was hung on a tree the cross and was put in a tomb and a rock was rolled in front. And and there was a waiting to see what would happen. And we know from the New Testament that Jesus, the stone was rolled away and Jesus came back to life. In in this scenario, that's not going to happen, but it, it gives this picture of being buried. And then what's going to happen? Who pays the price when you come out of the tomb, that someone has to pay the price for the sins that have been committed. And Jesus paid the price, so he came back to life and was resurrected on our behalf. And you know, it says that they went and they are going to kill these people. And you have to remember that God has given the people of this land, the Canaanites, 600 years to repent, to, to give the land over. God has been patient to tell them over and over again. He has sent miracles to show them He is God and that they need to surrender, but they refuse. They refuse. They keep fighting instead of resting, instead of fleeing and finding a place, a Gilgal they can go to to find rest, to get away from what God has said is His, or fleeing to, or surrendering and saying, we want God Almighty to be our rest. They keep fighting. So they're in the wrong fight. In Joshua 10, 20, it says, so Joshua and the Israelites finished inflicting a terrible slaughter on them until they were destroyed. Although a few survivors ran away to the fortified cities, the people returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Mecca, and no one dared to threaten the Israelites. You see, they'd been threatened and intimidation. And, you know, when you keep compromising the enemy figures out ways to manipulate you by threatening you. you. We see that in our culture today. That today, there's so much in social media and the things that go on that are about threatening. 
putting pressure on you to, to do what they want you to do and using intimidation. And God says, no, I, I, I'm, if, if you follow me, then you don't have to worry about the threats that are out there. And you see, most people will back down to a threat, but not God's people. You know, they're to to stand up. We see even in the book of Acts numerous times that the disciples and the apostles were were threatened and they wouldn't back down. And often they would go right back into the city or the place where the threat was because they couldn't help but tell people the good news about who God was. And that's the Israelites. They keep going into these places that they know they're picking a fight, but they know they have to because God, God's glory and His name needs to be put on display. And you know, when you stop fighting, it's easy when there are no more threats. It'd be easy at this point for Joshua and the Israelites to say, you know what, there's no more threats, so let's just take it easy and go back to Gilgal and hang out. And you know, we've won some cities, we've got some land. Let's let's not really go after it. Let's just kind of pause here. Let's rest. They don't do that. They keep moving. And I would argue that Christians today have been in retreat for so long that that it's almost like we're irrelevant. We keep finding ways to pull away from the battle, to hide out. And God keeps asking us to step out into the battle and into the world with His sword. And we as Christians need to be serious about stepping into the battle of the world around us in simple ways. It doesn't mean you're going to pick a fight. It just means the way you work, the way you live, the, all of those things. It's, it's doing what God says, resting well, having a Sabbath and trusting in God and resting in Him. Those are all parts of the battles we should be fighting. In Joshua 10, 22, it says, Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me, or to me out, out there. This is what they did. They brought the five kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lashish, and Eglon to Joshua out of the cave. So one of these kings is actually the king of Jerusalem, which is going to be, after the Israelites take this land, God's city. He's going to bring a new Jerusalem, Revelation says, one day. In verse 24, it says, When they had brought out the kings to him, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the military commanders who had accompanied him. Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So the commanders came forward and put their feet on the necks. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous for the Lord will do this to all the enemies you fight. You know, this is a hard story to read because we are in the midst of a mess right now because of a police officer who wrongly put his knee on the neck of someone. God didn't tell him to do that. He did that on his own, and that he wasn't stopped for it. And in this story, we see where these five kings had been wicked. They had brought all kinds of wickedness into the earth. They were not innocent by any means. And God is saying, look, you had your chance to to repent. You had your chance to surrender, and instead you fought. Now you're going to be made an example of. See, that's what happens so often when we're not humble, when we don't have a heart of surrender, when we don't know how to rest and how to fight by walking with God so closely that we have His marching orders, not our own. goes on to say in verse 26 of chapter 10, After this, Joshua struck them down and executed them. He hung their body on five trees, and they were there until evening. At sunset, Joshua commanded they be taken down from the trees and thrown into the cave where they had been hidden. The large stones were placed against the mouth of the cave, and the stones are there to this day. Interesting that Joshua hangs these guys on trees like Jesus was hung on a tree. Then he throws them in a cave and closes it up. Only that cave never gets open, and those guys never come back to life. They are eternally separated from God, and they are made an example of versus Jesus, who has made an example of to us that there could be a new life, that you could be born again and a new body. You see, this is a great picture in the Old Testament of what God's going to do, that this Joshua took life, but the next Joshua, Jesus, is going to give his life, be put in a tomb, roll the stone away, and come back 
to life to defeat the ultimate thing. And that's not five kings, that's death itself, the curse of death and separation from God. You see, we have a resurrection. We have Jesus who was suffocated on the cross. Crucifixion, you died by suffocation, by asphyxiation. He was suffocated and hung on a tree on our behalf. We deserve that, but he took the punishment. You see, it's at this moment that you look and you wonder, how do we rest and how do we use the sword that God calls us to use? At what point we're having this discussion of, do we have peace and do we need to cause unrest in the world? These are hard questions if you're not walking with God, if you've not read the whole story of God, if you just stop at this story and don't understand that there's more to the story, then you could end up being someone that tries to become a world leader that slaughters people to take the land you believe God's asking you to take. You see, we have to see the entire picture. Joshua 10, 28 says, On that day, Joshua captured Mechadah and struck it down with the sword, including its king. He completely destroyed it and everyone in it, leaving no survivors. He treated the king of Mechada as he did the king of Jericho. Joshua and all Israel with him crossed from Mechada to Libna and fought against Libna. The Lord also handed it and its kings over to Israel. He struck it down, putting everyone in it to the sword and left no survivors in it. He treated Libna's king as he did the king of Jericho. For Libna, Joshua and all Israel with him. From Libna, Joshua and all Israel with him crossed to Lashitz. You see, it says here that he put everyone to the sword. You see, there's going to come a day, we're going to read in a moment, when Jesus says that he's going to bring a sword and that he's going to come with a sword. And when that day comes, it's going to be terrifying for everyone. You see, in Matthew 10, verse 31, this is what Jesus said. So don't be afraid, therefore. You are worth more than many sparrows. So the first thing Jesus says is, hey, don't be afraid. In light of what I just said, don't be afraid. And in light of what I'm getting ready to do and tell you, don't be afraid. Verse 32, he says, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. You see, these people, these Canaanites wouldn't acknowledge God. They refused. They were going to fight God and acknowledge their gods, but not the God of Israel. And then he goes on to say, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came. Look at what Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, Matthew 10, verse 34. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Just like Joshua brought the sword, Jesus says, I've come to bring a sword, but it's a different kind of sword. See, verse 35, it says, I came to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. See, Jesus says, I'm not coming with a sword to, to annihilate people. I'm coming with a sword, and it's going to divide relationally. It, it, just like in the Old Testament, Joshua is dividing relationships. Here he's saying, the sword I'm going to use is going to just cause division that can't be put back together without me putting it back together. He goes on to say in Matthew 10, 37, the person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it. And anyone losing his life because of me will find it. You see, Jesus takes this and he says, he's talking about a sword. And in their interpretation, these guys that were listening who were Israelites would have thought, yeah, you're the new Joshua, the Jesus, you're bringing your sword. And then Jesus gives this teaching and turns the whole sword analogy upside down. And he says, look, it's not about you fighting and dying for your mom and your dad and your kids. It's about you fighting for me. It's about you fighting for the things of God. And if you love those relationships more than me, 
that's going to be a problem. And then he says, you've got to take up your cross. In other words, you have to be willing to to say, I'll be hung on the tree. I'll be put on display like you were put on display, Jesus. I'm, I'm willing to give my life. And he says, if you think you've found life and and this is my life. This is this is what I'm going to live for. He said, be careful because it may cost you. But if you're willing to give up your rights to your life and what you want and your desires and turn them over to God so that he can have you as his servant, he says, you'll find the life you've been looking for. In Luke 21, Jesus says this in verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that it is the desolation that has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those inside the city must leave it. And those who are in the country must not enter it because these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all things that are written. To fulfill all things that are written. All scripture. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days for there will be great distress in the land and wrath against his, this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This would have been radical for Jesus to say. You see, they were expecting Jesus to come in the New Testament as the new Joshua, the new Messiah that was going to overthrow the Romans, the that represented the Canaanites, and then give back their land and all their rights. And here Jesus says, actually, God's going to make you Israelites scatter. You see, God doesn't make His people do anything, or it doesn't make people do anything that He doesn't ask His own children, His own people to do. He doesn't hold others accountable and not His own kids. He is completely just and loving and caring and, and merciful and, and righteous and fair. And so He says, you guys think that when you see Jerusalem surrounded, that you got to recognize that it's not going to go well. I'm not coming to rescue you. I'm not bringing a physical sword anymore. You're going to have to flee because it's, it's not time, the time of the Gentiles. And what that means is the time for the Gentiles to be called to surrender to God. That's you and me if we're not Jewish. That there's going to be a, it's been the last 2,000 years, that the Word of God has gone out to the Gentiles to make Him known before He comes back and takes all the land and has to bring his judgment. He goes on in Luke 21, 25, and he says, Then there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and there will be anguish on the earth among nations bewildered by the roaring sea and waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the celestial powers will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. In other words, he says, be strong and courageous. When you see that the world's falling apart, you can take confidence and be strong and courageous to tell people that you know the end of the story, that this isn't all there is, that there is an inheritance and a promise, and that there is still rest that we can find in the midst of the chaos, and there is still a plan, and that there is a sword. There is justice coming. That's a word we need to remember today. Even Paul says in Ephesians 6.13, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but he says, this is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist it in the day of evil and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like an armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace, gospel of rest. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and here's the key, and the sword of the Spirit, which is, the, which is God's Word. You see, here Paul says, and, and we see this later, I'll show you in a second, Paul's saying that God's Word is the new sword. The Bible that we have is God's new sword that cuts to the joint and marrow, the Bible says. God says that His Word is what we're to be taking and using now. We're not to take a physical sword necessarily. We're to use His written Word, which is cuts at us. It cuts deep into us. 
goes on in verse 18. It says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. He basically says, look, you're going to get dressed for war. That's what this person's doing in Ephesians 6 that Paul's laying out. You're going to get dressed for war and then you're going to take a knee. You're going to bow. You're going to pray. And you're going to be sure that the next decision that you make is the right one. That if God says, wait, rest, or if he says, go fight, you're ready to do what he wants you to do. And we're supposed to be praying the same for everyone else, that we wouldn't be taking matters into our own hands. We'd be putting the matters into God's hands and then doing what he asks us to do. Peter, or Paul goes on in Ephesians 6, 19, it says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me that when I open my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So again, be bold and courageous. And here Paul is saying, man, pray for me that when I open my mouth, when my mouth is done resting and it's time to speak, pray that I'll, be, I'll make known the message, the word, the sword will come out and will pierce the world around me. Revelation 1 says when Jesus returns, it says he's going to come back and he In verse 16, it says he had seven stars in his right hand and a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun at midday. See, Jesus' mouth, his word is the sword. So, So when we see in the Old Testament God bringing a sword on people, it's because they had rejected his word for 600 years. They had rejected it for 40 years as they watched Israel and probably made fun of them for wandering around. Up until the last minute, they could have surrendered. But then it was too late. It was time for the sword to come. And that's what we see in Revelation 19.11. It says this, that at the end, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It tells what's going to happen one day. Revelation 19 is kind of the end of the book. It's the end of the story of God. And look what it says. It says, after all the judgments and after all the mess and after everything is poured out, it says in 1911, then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True and he judges and makes war. He fights for what's right, for righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. This is a picture of Jesus, by the way. That's who this person is. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God and the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, someday Jesus is going to come back and he is going to bring a sword. And just like we see in this picture in Joshua, there is not going to be any escape for people. There will be total annihilation. It will be over. And those that have stood in pride and fought Jesus, fought Joshua, fought Yahweh who saves and said, I don't need Yahweh to save me. I can save myself. I'll I'll make this world what I want it to be will be destroyed. It's the same picture. But thankfully, God gives us a place of rest. That God lays out all this battle. I mean, look at what they go on to do in battle. Joshua 10 In verse, the end of 31 says, they laid siege to it and attacked it. The Lord handed Lashitz over to Israel and Joshua captured it on the second day. He struck it down, putting everyone in it to the sword, just as he had also done in Libna. At that time, Horam, king of Gezer, went to help Lashitz, but Joshua struck him down along with his people, leaving no survivors in it. Then Joshua crossed from Lashitz. Lashish to Eglon and all Israel with him. They laid siege to it and attacked it. On that day, they captured it and struck it down, putting everyone in it to the sword. Again, he completely destroyed it on that day, just as he had done in Lachish. 
Verse 36 of chapter 10. Next, Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron and attacked it. They captured it and struck it down. Its kings, its village, everyone in it with the sword. He left no survivors just as he had done in Eglon. He completely destroyed Hebron and everyone in it. Finally, Joshua turned towards Deber and attacked it. And all Israel was with him. He captured it, its kings and all its villages. They struck them down with the sword and completely destroyed everyone in it, leaving no survivors. He treated Deber and its king as he had treated Hebron, and as he had treated Libna and its king. Verse 40 of Joshua 10. So Joshua conquered the whole region, the hill country, the Negev, the Judean foothills, and the slopes, with all their kings, leaving no survivors. He completely destroyed every living being as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. This is what Jesus is going to do someday. We just read it in Revelation. This is just a picture that these people could have been saved, at least in this time period, had they just run away. But there's going to come a day when no one can run from the second Joshua. That when God comes to bring his salvation for those who have been crying out to him, who have surrendered to him, he's also going to bring with it his judgment for those that have not been giving salvation, but have been taking life from others. And you might say, well, I'm not a murderer. I don't take life. Do you use people or do you give yourself? Do you pick up your cross and try to give yourself to others each day? Do you demand your rights or do you, do you want to see others elevated? See, that's the God of our book. In Joshua 10, 41, it says, Joshua conquered everyone from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza and all the land of Goshen as far as Gibeon. Joshua captured all these kings and their land in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Isn't this so encouraging? It says that God is fighting for his people. That is, as we go out, God is fighting for us. He's already preparing the battle. He's already preparing the circumstances. And even though it might not work out circumstantially on this earth the way we want, we can be confident that God is working his will. We can trust him and we can know that, that Joshua, Jesus said that I'm going to die and come back to life. And listen, I'm going to go to my father to prepare a place for you. And where I go, I will come back and get you and bring you to where I am also. That, that, that in Jesus, in a relationship with him, we always have a place we can return back to, a place in our heart, a place of rest, a place of Gilgal. You see, Gilgal is where the children of God crossed the Jordan, where they brought the memorial stones to set up. It's where they worshiped and celebrated the Passover for the first time fully, like they never had when they were in the wilderness, in a totally different way. It's it's the place where they circumcised all the men and they declared their righteous covenant to God. This was the place where they met with God when they remembered him, when they committed to him. When Israel needed to find its heart and soul, it would return back to Gilgal to seek the Lord, to worship him and to rest. It would be to return and remember his blessings and, and rededicate themselves to, to the battle they were going out in and to redirect themselves to the journey and the battle that was ahead of them. Gilgal was the place where where the campaigns were fought from. It was the place they'd come back to after a decisive battle or even when they lost. And it represented a place of victory and rest. You see, this is what a relationship with Jesus does. This is what understanding what his inheritance means. This is what it means when you understand that when you commit your life to to Christ and you begin to know his word, he begins to cut away, to, to get rid of the flesh and to give you a heart or the heart of stone and chip it away to give you a heart of flesh. You see, Gilgal is the place where we go to, to rest so that we can go back out. And that rest is in a relationship with God. They didn't come back to Gilgal to lay around in hammocks. They came back to Gilgal to celebrate what God had done to worship. This is also a picture of the church. 
that today God has given us His church and the reason that we gather, the reason that we come together, the reason that we encourage one another, the reason that we come to a specific place is so that we can find rest on this earth together with, with, with people that we know by name. See, God has given us His rest in a relationship with His Son, and He's given us a place of rest in His body, the church, until the day when He finally comes back with His sword to bring a new heaven and a new earth, and it's complete bringing together of everyone for the ultimate rest. In Joshua eleven eleven, it goes on, it says, When Jabin, king of Hazar, heard the news, he sent a message to Joab, king of Madon, the kings of Simran, and Ashkippah, and the kings of the north and the hill country, the Arabah, south of Chenethreth, the Judean foothills, and the slopes of Dor to the west, the Canaanites in the east and west, the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, and the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites at the foot of Hermon in the land of Mizpah. They went out with all their armies, a multitude as numerous as the sand on the seashore, along with a vast num- number of horses and chariots. All these kings joined forces. They came together and camped at the waters of Merom to attack Israel. These people don't get it. God has proven himself over and over that he is scary, holy, and righteous. And he's proven that he's also merciful with what he did with the Gibeonites earlier that we looked at last week. God has shown that who he is, and these guys can't surrender. Can I just tell you that that's the battle we're in? We go out and we tell people about Jesus. We show them what grace and justice looks like. We tell them the true message of the scripture. And then they just want to pick a fight. They don't want to surrender. They think they can keep what they have when it's not theirs to begin with. You see, that's the thing. These people were thinking that this land that they were on and the world that they were living in was theirs. It's not. It's the God of creations. It's the God of the Bible, Yahweh's land. And while he's not telling us to take physical land right now, at this time he was. This is what he was asking to fulfill a covenant that he made. And these guys couldn't stand that. Just like today, we may not be asking people to give up their houses, or to give up their physical property to become a Christian. We're asking them to give up their wills, though, their hearts, to be willing to give those things up. And that message just is terrible to people. They can't do it. They just want to fight. Joshua eleven six. it goes on, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Don't be afraid of them. For at this time tomorrow I will cause all of them to be killed before Israel. You are to hamstring their horses and burn up their chariots. In other words, Don't think that you're going to get their horses and chariots and now you're going to be able to use those in your next battle. No, you trust me. Don't trust in horses and chariots, the Bible says, but trust in the name of the Lord your God. So in verse 7, it says, So Joshua and his whole military force surprised him at the waters of Merim and attacked them. The Lord handed over Israel and they struck down, pursuing them as far as the great Sidon and Misporeth Maim and to the east as far as the valley of Mizpeh. They struck them down, leaving no survivors. Joshua treated them as the Lord had told them. He hamstrung their horses and burned up their chariots. At that time, Joshua turned back, captured Hazar, and struck down its king with the sword, because Hazar had formerly been the leader of all three, all these kingdoms. They struck down everyone in it with the sword, completely destroying them. He left no one alive. Then he burned down Hazar. Joshua captured all these kings and their cities and struck them down with the sword. He completely destroyed them as Moses, the Lord's servant, had commanded. So Joshua is doing exactly what we know Jesus has come to come to do. He's obeying everything that he was commanded. See, this is why being under authority, our ability to, to obey, to listen, to be humble, to submit is so vital. See, someday Jesus right now is waiting in heaven for the Father's order to go, to fight the battle, to come on his white horse and to bring judgment. And he's holding back because God desires that none would perish, but that everyone has the opportunity in that time of the Gentiles to come to know him. He's being patient, but someday Jesus is going to come. And just like Joshua, he's going to obey every command and do everything exactly 
what is written. And if you read the Bible, that is a scary proposition because there's no excuse, there's no deal we can make before a holy God. We can only surrender now, knowing that if we do that, he tells us that if you're willing to lose your life, if you're willing to surrender, I'll give you life. Verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 13, it says, However, Israel did not burn any of the cities that stood on their mounds except Hazar, which Joshua burned. The Israelites plundered all the spoils and cattle uh, of these cities for themselves, but they struck down every person with the sword until they had annihilated them, leaving no one alive. Just as the Lord had commanded his servant Moses, Moses commanded Joshua. That is what Joshua did, leaving nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Jesus is going to come back someday and he's going to be completely obedient. In Joshua eleven sixteen, 16, it says, So Joshua took all the land, the hill country, and all the Negev, and all the land of Goshen, the foothills, the Arabah, and the hill country of Israel with its foothills, from Mount Halak, which ascends to Seir, as far as Baal Gad, in the valley of Lebanon, in the foot of Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them down, putting them to death. Verse 18, Joshua waged war with all these kings for a long time. See, that's the other thing about our fight and our battle. See, we need a rest, a place of rest, a Gilgal we can go to because the battle's long. It's not like we're done fighting one day. We, we keep having to fight because people keep attacking and we have to keep taking the land God's asked us to take because that's what he's asked us to do. And we're to go out with the sword, which is the word of God, no longer a physical sword we carry, but the sword of the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, which reveals to us the truth of the word. And then we go out with that word and it is going to be a war. And we see that now. If you disagree with certain things now, if you talk about sex or gender, if you talk about um, abortion or murder, if you talk about those hard subjects, you are opening up a can of war. You're going to have a war on your hands. And it's going to be a long war. And it might not work out well for you. There are casualties in war. But it's worth it if you're fighting for the right thing. You see, the southern kingdom, the campaign to take the southern kingdom went really quickly, but the northern kingdom took a lot longer. And then we read about, which we'll see at the end of the book, that in Joshua's, or in Judges 1, chapters 1 through 3, after the book of Joshua, we see that the Israelites stopped fighting and they start making peace treaties with the inhabitants and intermarrying with them in violation of the clear command of the Lord, and it corrupts them. Instead of going out and saying, I, I have to preach against, I have to speak against what's out there, they begin to adopt those things into their life. Can I just tell you that that's what the church does today so often? That we have people adopting things that God says are off limits and then saying God's okay with it? He's not. He's not. And just because God takes a long time doesn't mean he's okay with it. It means he's being patient so that you might repent, not that he's fine with you doing it. There's a sword coming. The question is, are we willing to to give our life now or is he going to have to come and take it? Which means we'll be cursed. That's the message that God has. In Joshua eleven nineteen, it says, No city made peace with the Israelites except the Hivites who inhabited Gibeon. All of them were taken in battle, for it was the Lord's intention to harden their hearts so that they would engage Israel in battle, be completely destroyed without mercy, and be annihilated just as the Lord had commanded Moses. In other words, God said, I know their hearts are going to be hardened. They're not going to change except for the Gibeonites. He goes on in verse 21 and says, At that time, Joshua proceeded to exterminate the Anakim from the hill country, Hebron, Deber, Anab, and all the hill country of Judah and Israel. Joshua completely destroyed them with their cities. No Anakim were left in the land of the Israelites, except for some remaining in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. By the way, that's where Goliath lived. Goliath was a giant who many believe came from the Anakim that, that 
They didn't exterminate these people and it came back to haunt them. Just like if we don't deal with the sin of, in our lives and the mess in our lives, it will keep coming back to haunt us. We have to do what God's asked. We have to repent. We have to let Him come in and do surgery to cut away the mess so that we might have real life. And the only way to have life is to die, is to be resurrected. That's what Jesus modeled to us and to trust our life to God, believing that our inheritance will be a resurrection, a new life that God will give us. But we have to die to the old one. He goes on and he says this, no Anakim. Oh, sorry. Verse 23. So Joshua took the entire land in keeping with all that the Lord had told Moses. Joshua then gave it as inheritance to Israel, according to their tribal allotments. After this, the land had rest for more. It doesn't say the people had rest from war. It says the land had rest from war. See, God brings in Joshua and he fulfills his promise. He gives them a part of the inheritance. It's not the full inheritance, but it's, it's a piece of it. It's the already but not fully yet that we talk about all the time at FX Church. That we have a relationship with Jesus and we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit through it relationship with him, but not fully yet, that we have to keep doing battle and coming back and finding our rest in him and living that tension and that life. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus would go out, he would preach the word, he would confront sin, and then he would have to get away and get away often to go pray and and to seek his heavenly father. We find him sleeping in a boat in the middle of a storm because he's so exhausted, he's just got to have rest. And we know that Jesus always obeyed the Sabbath and asked his disciples to obey the Sabbath with him, to have a day of rest. That doesn't mean they didn't do anything on that day. As a matter of fact, he got criticized for healing people on the Sabbath, for doing good on the Sabbath for others, or to do good for others. It's not a day for us, and this is my day of rest. That's arrogance. That's pride. That's never what God had in mind. You see, God has graciously provided a place for us that if we know Jesus Christ, he says that we have a Gilgal awaiting us, that there is a place where we're going to go and we are going to forever worship and forever remember what God has done, a place of rest and peace and memorial and a place where we can celebrate and have joy. And that's going to come one day when Christ comes back with his sword and brings the new earth and the new Jerusalem and the new land for his people. And he's provided for us in a relationship with him now, in a relationship with the Yahweh who saves, the Joshua, the Jesus, we have a peace to know that God is with us and that he is leading in the battle, and we can trust him. And then he gives us his body, the church, his people, where we can find rest. Because Gilgal was a place where you didn't go rest alone. You rested with the community of God. And that's what we're called to do. You see, that's what it should be for us as believers. But so often, we don't find rest in Christ. We don't find rest in His church. We'll try to find it in any other way we can, except the way that God has called us to rest. And we'll try to go out and fight battles and fight for things in any way we can if we just don't have to fight what God says to fight, which is to tell people, If you don't know Jesus, you are separated from him and you are eternally damned. You see, the people knew in Joshua's day that if they didn't surrender and they fought and they lost, they were damned. They were going to be killed. It's the same message for us today, that when we go out and talk to people about the gospel, we can tell them, you are damned, but trust me, that's not what God's heart is. He desires to to save you. He desires to bring you in to make you a part of his family, but you don't get to make deals with him. You have to surrender. You have to make a covenant. You have to find your full rest in him and allow him to bring his scalpel, his sword to cut away the mess in your life so that he can give you the fullness of life. And you have to be willing to go out into the world and to take the sword of his word and do battle, knowing that it might not go well, but it's worth it. You know, to sum it up, the Lord is always in Scripture taking us back to Gilgal, reminding us of what He has done for us 
and who we are in Him if we have a relationship with Jesus. He wants to remind us of all that we will possess one day and all that we even possess now in the power of the Holy Spirit, just not fully yet. And then He wants to send us out to make Him known to the world so that we can declare His praises and come together with God's people and talk about how great He is. You see, His sword is coming, and it is going to cut deep and hard. But if we've already died, then there's no death for us. There's only life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for Gilgal and the sword. Thank you for the rest that we can find through a relationship for what Jesus did, that we keep striving to try to work and please you, and it's never going to measure up versus just dying to ourselves and surrendering and saying, God, I'll never be good enough. And I know you know that, and I thank you for sending Jesus to forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Make me who you want me to be. And I trust you with whatever the outcome is, because I know there's coming a day when you will reign, when you will come back, and you will bring your ultimate rest. And so, Father, help us to know your word. Help us to rest in you and rest in your word. Help us to rest in your church, the body, the local body of believers. And help us to to know that we are in a battle and it's worth it. And it's a battle that you say that you have won and that you will win. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully I'll see you back here on the podcast next week. And I hope you're continuing to rest in him this week uh, as you continue to read through Joshua and see the inheritance that God has for you in him. Thanks.